Chapter Four of Judge Burnham's Daughters. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Judge Burnham's Daughters by Pansy. Chapter Four: Unwelcome Responsibilities. Mrs. Burnham was entertaining a caller in her own room. Very few people were allowed the privilege of coming up to that lovely blue room, which was the special refuge of the mistress of the house. The daughters understood, as by a sort of instinct, that they were not expected to intrude here, and the judge himself always tapped lightly before entering. Only Erskine was privileged to come when he would. But the caller was a special one, even Mrs. Dr. Dennis, and the two who posed before the world as dignified matrons were when alone, Ruth and Marion still. They did not meet very often. Marion, as the wife of a busy pastor, had, of course, her many cares, and her almost overwhelming social duties. And Ruth had fallen out of the habit of going even among these old friends very often. But the old warm friendship burned strongly, and as often as they met they assured each other, with equal earnestness and sincerity of purpose, that the time between their calls should never be so long again. Still it always was, and there was always, consequently, a great deal to say. So it was, after Marian had been talking eagerly for nearly an hour, that she suddenly broke off in the midst of a sentence with the words, But I really have not time to tell you that. It is a long story, and I have stayed now longer than I meant. Ruth, dear, I came to see you for a special purpose today. I couldn't have come merely for pleasure, because we are unusually busy with church work this month. But I knew I was so old and tried a friend, that I might venture to say a word to you about that pretty daughter of yours, the younger one I think she is. Ruth's face flushed a little. The skeletons in her home, if skeletons they really were, were never brought out for other eyes to behold. Marion Dennis saw the flush and hastened her speech. Of course I run the risk of meddling with what is none of my business, but Mr. Dennis said you would forgive because of the motive, and because it was I myself. He has great faith in our old friendship, you see. It is nothing very formidable, only to ask you if you know, if Judge Burnham knows, just what sort of person that young Hamlin is with whom Minta rides and walks occasionally. Not quite that, either. For of course you don't know. But my errand is simply to put you on your guard in time. It was very gently put. Minta's walks and rides with the young man in question were much more than occasional. I know nothing whatever about him, Ruth hastened to say, and I never heard Judge Burnham mention his name, but I supposed, of course, he knew the sort of person with whom he allowed his daughter to associate. Well, perhaps not. Indeed, Dr. Dennis says it is more than probable, engrossed in business as he is, and looking upon his daughters as children, all men do that until they are old enough to be grandmothers, he has probably not given the matter a thought. And besides, Mr. Dennis says businessmen really know comparatively little about the men with whom they associate intimately. It is so different with a minister, you know. He is the confidential friend of so many people, and carries the burdens of others so continually, that he learns to keep his eyes very wide open. Moreover, he came very near having a serious lesson of his own, you remember, and that has made him more watchful over all young daughters, I think. I remember your anxiety about Gracie. How did you manage it, Marion? There was a wistful tone in Mrs. Burnham's voice, 
which did not escape her caller's watchful ear. It said, almost as plainly as words could have done, I thought I knew all about managing, but these girls of mine are beyond my control, and I don't in the least know how to set to work to write anything which may be wrong. Oh, I didn't do much of the managing. I couldn't, you know. She would resent that, naturally. I don't think we ought to expect from young people much that is against nature. Her father had to do the talking. I kept myself as far as possible in the background, only helping with my wits, of course, where I could. It wasn't a formidable thing, though it looked so for a time. Gracie gave me credit for having more to do with it than I had. That was natural, too. But she recovered, and I think she has not thanked me for anything more earnestly than she has for helping save her, as she expressed it, though, as I tell you, I did very little. She went to New York, you remember, and our blessed little Flossie, with her sweet, wise ways, came to the rescue. Then she met Ralph, and that helped immensely. The expulsive power of a new affection. I often think of that sentence in one of our old textbooks. It works magic with the human heart, Ruth. How is Gracie? Mrs. Burnham asked, shading her eyes with her hand, and trying to keep a longing sense of envy from appearing in her voice. Mrs. Dennis had very happy relations with her stepdaughter. If Ruth's experience could only have been like hers. Oh, she is well, and happy and busy. Their letters would fairly make you tired, Ruth. They have so many schemes for their young men and women, and carry them out, too. It is no daydreaming. Gracie, with her young Ralph, not yet a year old to look after, and her housekeeping duties besides, accomplishes more for the cause of Christ in the world than dozens of young wives do all about her, who are boarding and have not a care in life. Mrs. Burnham sighed. How much she had meant to accomplish for the cause of Christ in the world! How had it happened that, so young, and with so much leisure, she had become stranded? But about this young man, said Mrs. Dennis, stealing a glance at her watch and looking startled, it seems he is very dissipated, drinks even to intoxication, and that quite frequently. Mr. Dennis says he has means of knowing that he is carried helpless to his room three nights out of a week. Is it possible? Ruth said in disgust. She had always shrunk from people who drank liquor to excess as belonging to a lower order of beings. Yes, it is true. Of course, Mr. Dennis took pains to verify his fears before he mentioned them. Not that it is anything unusual in a society man, but then... Isn't it unusual? You cannot mean that it is common among young men of the higher classes? Oh, you dear child, I am sorry to say it is. The higher classes are the worse off, perhaps, if there is any worse to the scourge. But you know... Ruth interrupted her again, glancing around instinctively to see if her child was within hearing, as she said fiercely, almost under her breath, Erskine shall never taste the stuff. She looked around, said Mrs. Dennis afterward, in detailing this conversation to her husband, with almost the eyes of a tigress suddenly brought in contact with a danger which menaced her babies. Then you will have to be on the alert, my dear friend. It is none too early to begin with your line upon line, for I do assure you I am appalled at the waste of manhood which is going on in secret. I could almost pray, if I had sons, that I might bury them in their babyhood, lest I should live to see them stagger home. 
but perhaps that is not the worst of this young man's habits. He is a gambler, as well as a hard drinker, almost a professional one, at least he uses his skill to decoy others, it is said. But even that is not what I came to tell you this morning, my dear Ruth. She drew her chair closer, and her voice sank lower while she told rapidly, with as few words as possible, a story of sin which made the matron's face pale with righteous indignation. Now you know, Mrs. Dennis said, gathering her wraps about her, why I dropped everything this morning and came out to you. I knew, of course, that Judge Burnham must be quite ignorant of facts, and that he must be told. And now I have barely time to make my train. I expected to have taken the one that went up an hour ago. Left alone, Mrs. Burnham gave herself up to painful musings. How should she plan so as to save her husband's daughter from a possible experience of misery? If the relations between herself and that daughter had been what she had planned they would be, the way would have been easy. But now, when she had, in a way which she did not understand, been put one side, been plainly shown each day that her influence was less than nothing, what was there she could do? Her father had to do the talking, Marian had said, with a bright smile and a wifely pride in the reference to her husband, and Ruth would not for the world have hinted to another that this father was not in such hearty sympathy with her views as to talk in accordance with them. Not even Marian, intimate as they had been, should ever know from words of hers that there were any shadows in her married life. Yet all the same she knew that Judge Burnham did not think nor feel as she did about many things. Still, in this thing, of course, there would of necessity be agreement. The man was not a fit acquaintance for a lady, and the probability was that her husband would know how to put an end to the acquaintance. She need not borrow trouble over that. But she shrank from telling him. There were so many things nowadays to jar his nerves and spoil their home talks, it seemed a pity to add yet another. Of course he would be terribly angry. What father would not? Perhaps he would even blame her. Yet surely he could see how little influence she had. Her musings were broken in upon by the sound of a clear voice in the hall below. Kate, tell Miss Seraph if she inquires for me that I went to ride with Mr. Hamlin, and that I will meet her at Chester's at three o'clock. Yes'm, returned Kate, and Mrs. Burnham arose in haste and pulled the bell cord. Kate appeared almost immediately in answer. Kate, has Miss Minta gone out? No, ma'am, not yet. She's just going. The gentleman is waiting in the parlor. Ask her to stop here a moment, please, before she goes. Ten minutes passed, and then Minta's tap was answered. She swept into the room, a beautiful girl in her perfect-fitting dress of dark blue cloth, more plainly made than was usual to her, and consequently more becoming. The glow of youth and health was on her cheek, and as her bright eyes rested with a sort of astonished inquiry on her mother, they said almost as plainly as words could have done, To what am I indebted for such unusual attention? It was true enough, though Mrs. Burnham did not realize that she had set, years ago, an excellent example for this indifference on the part of her stepdaughters, by being herself quite indifferent in regard to their movements, so long as they were well-dressed and well-behaved. Minta, she began hurriedly, I want to speak with you a moment. So Kate told me, please be as expeditious as is convenient. I have kept my escort waiting an unreasonably long time now. 
but I do not know that what I have to say can be told in a few minutes. She was visibly embarrassed and did not know how to commence her appeal. Miss Minta elevated her eyebrows. Indeed, she said, the tone being a trifle supercilious. Then perhaps it would be as well to reserve it for a more convenient hour, since I am already being waited for. But Minta, it is about that I wish to speak. I mean about your escort. It is Mr. Hamlin, is it not? I do not think, that is, I feel quite sure, that your father would object to your riding with him. A perfectly foolish way in which to present the subject. No one could realize this better than she did herself. The flush on the young lady's face was brilliant, and her eyes flashed indignation. I should like to understand you if I can, she said haughtily. Pray, why should my father suddenly object to my riding with a gentleman with whom I have rode every other day for a month or more? And if he objects, pray why does he not tell me so instead of... She paused suddenly, for Ruth was regarding her now with a face calculated to subdue insolence, in speech at least. Her voice was less excited than before, but colder. I beg your pardon. I was unduly excited in my anxiety, and made an unfortunate beginning. I mean, I have recently heard that about Mr. Hamlin, which leads me to think that your father, when he hears of it, will have very serious objections to your continuing his acquaintance, and in his absence I considered it my duty to warn you. And I am expected to be grateful, I suppose? Am I to be treated to a dish of this precious gossip, whatever it is? The girl was very angry. There was clearly some reason beside the silly pride of being interfered with which flushed her cheek and made her eyes flash like coals of fire. When Ruth thought it over in more quiet moments, she recognized this fact. But now she, too, was angry. What right had this impudent girl, who had belonged only to the backwoods until she brought her forward, to characterize the conversation between Mrs. Dennis and herself as gossip? Still, her voice was low and controlled. There had been that trait about Ruth Erskine, the girl. She had never allowed herself to speak with raised voice or rapid enunciation, even when her anger reached a white heat. She had not lost so much power of self-control. I have nothing to say beyond the fact that I have such information concerning the person in question as should make a young lady grateful for a warning presented in time, she said, looking steadily at the angry girl. What your father may see fit to tell you I cannot say, but I certainly shall not trouble with details. You are very kind and very considerate. I am sure I ought to go on my knees to thank you. Meantime, if you have nothing further to offer, I suppose I may relieve the impatience of my friend who is waiting. I can give you the words, but the tone in which they were spoken, and the indescribable manner that accompanied them, you must imagine. It was the most decided rebellion against her interference which Ruth had ever received. Even at that moment she thought of Mrs. Dennis and her daughter Grace. What would she have said or done under circumstances like these? Would such circumstances ever have arisen between them? Probably not. I, a quiet outsider, answer for her, because, in the second place, the two girls were essentially different, but also because in the first place, Marion had gone to her daughter from her knees, gone with a loving, tender, sympathetic heart, and with infinite skill and patience had touched a sore point between them. 
Miss Minta's hand was on the doorknob when her mother spoke again, still in that low, self-restrained voice. I have nothing further to say, but I trust we understand each other. The world looks upon me as your proper guardian in company with your father, however unreasonable or silly that world may be, and therefore in his absence I must exercise my judgment and ask you to suspend further rides with the gentleman until you have your father's sanction. I shall not, of course, interfere further than that. The hand was still on the doorknob, but its owner turned and gave a look of mingled rage and amazement at her stepmother. Do you take me for a complete idiot? This was all she said, and as the question did not seem to require an answer, it received none. The door opened and closed with a very decided bang, and in less than five minutes afterward, Ruth, standing at the front window, saw the blue-robed maiden carefully lifted into the handsome carriage that stood in waiting, and the costly wrappings were tucked carefully about her by young Mr. Hamlin. End of chapter 4 Recording by Tricia G.